This is Backspin Golf with Matthew Lawrence, your 803 Tea Time every Sunday morning right here on ESPN 92.5 and 1300 AM. Backspin Golf is brought to you by Gearheads of Nicholasville, Edwin Watts Golf, Truly Nolan and Critter Control, French Lick Resort Casino, and Lexington Parks and Recreation. Also sponsored by Commonwealth Credit Union, Georgetown Advantage Air, and Maple Leaf Gutter and Siding Systems. Let's join your host, Matthew Lawrence, for Backspin Golf. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Happy BMW Championship Day. Yeah, it's exciting. I just want to find out. Let's go. Who's going to East Lake? Uh, somebody's going to win a lot of money today, too. But who's going to East Lake? Who's playing in the Tour Championship? Let's go. Let's go. Uh, as always, a wonderful show lined up for you today. Starting with our buddy, Jordan Perez, who will talk to us about the incredible things going on in amateur golf first. And then uh, Dan Hauser, my buddy, and we'll talk about everything like we always do. And then uh, mi amigo, Emilio San Martin, will join us and we'll talk about these playoffs and some Ryder Cup stuff, as I like to say. I love that word. So we're going to start off with the great Jordan Perez. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. I'm so excited. Because now I get to talk to one of my favorite people, Jordan Perez. This is what it says in her Twitter bio. Hold on, Jordan. Don't you dare speak before I introduce you. You got it? Okay. You can laugh, but don't speak. At J-R-D-N-P-R-Z. At Jordan. That's Jordan Perez. Uh, and she is with, she's playing in the big pond now. No laying up. Golf Digest, and a great Twitter account, AmateurGolf.com. And she covers amateur golf better than anybody. That's right. I said it. And now I get to speak with her. Okay, now you can speak. Hi, Jordan. Sorry. It's been a while, so I cut you off there. But thanks for having me back. I'm really excited to... I'm really really excited to chat everything amateur golf. It's the... the, um, Boy. One of the busiest times of year, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Before we get into that, I'm going to tell you one of the, and you know I am so fond of you, one of the many reasons, aside from your great work and your coverage, is I I found out, I didn't know this, but on top of your Twitter account, uh, it's called a cover photo, I guess, and yours is... Sean Connery and Goldfinger on the golf course. And I can't tell you how much I love that. That <laughs> is just the greatest. James Bond movies are some of my favorite movies. See, you're, so... you're an old soul, Jordan. You are an old soul. <laughs> that scene is probably one of the best oh, it's scenes the, in it's all the It's the greatest. Anyway, all right. Here's where we're going to start. That's with the U.S. Women's Amateur. And watching it was fantastic. But the things that you talk about uh, with this, I had no idea 
about I always knew about the women's amateur and kind of the history how important it is this USGA event. I had no idea until I read what you wrote for no laying up about it. It's staggering. 128 years this tournament's been going on. Yes, it's I mean it's I didn't even know the exact year long like I didn't realize it was 128 right yeah you think of the U.S. Women's Amateur you think of the USGA history you think okay it's been you know you maybe just think a century right just offhand right a hundred and, and until I did my research I was like it's been 128 years and so they always say like I, as long as I've been covering it it's been like the 120th edition if you will um the 120s and so 128 accounts for World War One, World War Two. There were some breaks in between, but yeah, it's been 128 years that this event has been around. It was before college golf, before the U.S. Women's Open, even, and so it's this event has so much history. It's and again from your great column, there were 13 players in the first field, 13, and this year there were 1,679 entries to try to play in this event that's insane yes yes and it's it every year the fields kept getting a little a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and originally it was actually just an 18 hole match it wasn't even <laughs> right the, it didn't even go to the extent that it is today where you have a two-day stroke play qualifier and then you get the 64 players into match play. I mean, none of that was even a thing for a while. And so, right, like I write that it's the kind of the antithesis of everything the championship is, which is extremely open. It's the most, it's, it's, it's yeah. the most prestigious women's amateur event, and it is the most open as well. Yeah, which that's really something, that statement. And when you put it that way, and it's the same thing with the men's amateur, but these two tournaments that you play stroke play first, which is how most people relate to golf, and you have to shoot a score, and then uh, after that, you go to match play, which is direct head-to-head competition. It's the best of both worlds. It is, and it really measures a player's um, aptitude for the entire week, right? right. So stroke, stroke play stroke plays a smaller sample in that the first two days of each tournament you're playing, um, well, just for the women's AM, they will play just the host course. But the men's AM has a bigger field. Usually it's like it's around 300 or so. Yeah. The men's AM, they typically play two courses. So the main course this year is Cherry Hills. And so they partnered with Colorado Golf Club. And so to qualify for match play for the men's amateur, for instance, you've got to play one day at both. And so wow. it's interesting because typically – as we've seen in U.S. amateurs, the players, it, the draw is funny because you kind of want to play the tougher course earlier, which is typically the host course. Yeah. Um, and so you're kind of, a lot, you see a lot of people kind of scrambling trying to make match play on the last day. But it's always really promising when you see a player play that host course really well in the beginning of the week. But again, it's also a game of endurance when you get into match play because <laughs> that can be, right, you could finish up really early and not even see the 18th hole for you know right. a few days right if you're having yep. a great run or you could be pushing your matches into extra, extra holes, holes. Long, right right unbelievable this whole thing is 
All right, tell us a little bit about what happened at the U.S. Women's Amateur. So the Women's Amateur this year, this, this was a really good edition of the event. Um, but it, was, it brought up some really interesting points about the event in general. So last year we had a really incredible champion in Saki Baba mm-hmm. um, who basically boat raced um, yeah. Monet yeah. Chun to, and for like one of the largest scoring deficits ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really historic at Chambers Bay. But this year Saki didn't return to defend her title. Um, and I think that brought about some questions about the quality of the field and what the golf was going to look like. Um, when in reality, it wasn't really affected by, you know, not only the, re- not, not the return of the defending champion, but like, we didn't see many top players play in this championship. And that was because of the schedule overlap for the right. most part. Right. Um, the AIG women's open took place at the same week at this U S women's amateur. Yeah. That's. And that's tough. Yeah, that's real tough. That's hard to work around. And so we didn't even see the number one women's amateur play a U.S. women's am, which was, it's also shocking maybe at the surface, but it's like, you know, Ingrid Lindblad is from Sweden. Right. And the AAG Women's Open, obviously in England, closer in proximity, you know, more so her continent's open, if you will. It, it, it makes sense that she would try to qualify for that um, instead of the U.S. women's amateur. And so... Anywho, so there were some concerns just about the quality of the field and how that would play out, but there was basically no effect on the quality of the golf that took place. This It was this great. <laughs> it was incredible. The course was incredible. It was playing so well. It was playing tougher by the day. It's, you know, that's typically what we expect out of a USGA championship. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you really you really did see the best players get through. Um, it, it, it was Funny because the draw you usually see, you know, you usually see maybe a couple names you don't, you're not as familiar with, and maybe you see a few names that you do know a little bit better. This year, I felt like we saw a lot of the more so household names in women's amateur golf, which was incredible. I mean, by the time we even just got to quarterfinals, we saw players that like we were already really familiar with. I mean, Anna Davis, Anwa Champion. Uh, Latana Stone, who was the runner-up that same year that Anna won, uh, Rachel Heck from Stanford, a national champion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Megan Scofield, who ultimately wins the U.S. Women's Amateur, was also really uh, has been a really accomplished player at Auburn. Um, and so you've got this draw that just keeps deepening, and it just there are so many compelling stories already. By the time you get to the quarterfinals, it, it was just it was awesome. And yeah. then we get to the semis, and we see a Curtis Cup matchup between Rachel Heck and Latana Stone, which, by the way, Latana Stone, all week, was playing girls that she'd won the Curtis Cup with. <laughs> she beat Mari Avery in the round of 64. Yeah. She beat Rachel Keene, I believe, in the round of 32. I mean, it was like she was basically having to win herself another Curtis Cup again. It was, almost, <laughs> it was a little hilarious. Yeah. Um, but right, that, like that's so compelling in and of itself because you're watching you know, a somewhat established women's amateur star go through a really competitive journey again to get mm-hmm. to the top. And yeah. so Latana beats Rachel Heck in the semifinals. Um, and Rachel Heck, just for a little bit of context, had an incredible week. I mean, she had dealt with a, um, a surgery earlier in the year. She had dealt with mononucleosis the year before that kept her out of golf. And so she'd really not been playing a lot of golf in this past year and a half. 
And she, you know, went to the national championship, I mean, basically two-ish months after she had surgery, shot an 80 in the first round and sat the rest out and, you know, relaxed a little bit, tried to step away from golf just a little bit to heal, actually goes to field training for the Air Force for like... <laughs> yeah, I, when days. I read that, I went, wait a second, what? <laughs> right, she did that right before the women's amateur <laughs> and then comes to the women's amateur and has like basically like of the run of a lifetime. Yeah. It, it yeah. was just, it was, it was stunning. It, it was a really cool display of Rachel. I mean, she looked like she was having the most fun that she's ever had playing golf. And it was truly an awesome comeback story. Yeah. Um, but she falls to Latana stone and then Megan Scofel beats Haley Borja, who I know a lot of people kind of said Haley was an underdog, but Haley was a pretty well-accomplished player herself. She played in an Augusta National Women's Amateur, has won a conference championship with the, her Michigan Wolverines, and mm-hmm. all things considered is a very, very, very good player. Um, but what we saw a lot out of these women was just a lot, a lot of incredible ball striking, a lot of incredible ball striking getting around Bel Air. Uh, the greens are where... Were, were really, really, really tough. And yeah. it, it, it came down to just, you know, how many, you know, how many less putts are you getting in? Like, you know, and that, it, it, Megan Scofield, all things considered, in her run to win the championship, it was almost like she was playing co- the course to perfection. Yeah. And any mistake that Megan made was very quickly remedied. Right. I mean, she, it looked like, She'd been Bel Air was her home course. Like that, that that's <laughs> how easy she made it look. And uh, that final was, you know, this course is four and three, but it it had a little bit of drama in it. I mean, you know, Latana comes into this final and she's got a she's got a leg strain. Her right leg had a strain that started developing in the semifinals, and. She's just kind of battling injury that whole time. And yeah. remember, that's a 36-hole match. And so that's no no easy walk. They do get a small break in between uh, the first 18 and the second 18. But all things considered, that is a long day. Yes. Um, really in the long. middle of summer. Yeah. And you've been playing so much golf leading into that day that it, 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 it is the toughest challenge all year. And so Latonic goes in and she first she has a she gets an early lead, but Megan's right there behind her. I mean, uh wins two holes consecutively on the front nine. Um and by the time they get to the break, Megan comes up with a three up lead. She'd won three holes consecutively going into right. the break. And then at that point, you know, Latana fought, gains a little bit of ground, not too much. Um, but then Megan is going back to winning consecutive holes. Just a lot of, you know, a lot of great putting from Megan. Both mm. of them were hitting the ball extremely well, extremely accurate. Yeah. Um, I honestly would love to see, like, the fairways hit stats between both of them because it was just, I mean, it was lights out. But Megan, at the end of the day, her putter got it done. Yeah. And something we've seen from Latana in the past, especially when we looked at her run from the Augusta National Women's Amateur last year was that her putter tends to freeze up in these big moments. And that's kind of what that, that was what kind of lost her the Augusta national women's amateur down the stretch when she made a double bogey and a bogey um, in the closing stretch. Right. And 
this year, I mean, granted, she was injured, so that definitely played a role. And she mentioned, she was like, I couldn't, my swing was not to its fullest extent. It, I couldn't bend down and read putts. Yep. There, there was a lot working against Latana. And right. so for her to even play as well as she did in the final was a huge accomplishment. Yep. Um, but I mean, they, the quality of golf that came from Megan Schofield this past week, I mean, no one was beating her. It's, um, it was great to watch. The parts that I actually got to watch was fantastic. And I'm so sorry we don't have more time, but nobody wraps things up like this better than you do, Jordan. And we're so all so grateful for you being on No Laying Up now and writing for them and all the great work you're doing. And uh, it will not be as long as it's been the next time that I speak with you. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for letting me <laughs> ramble about the U.S. No, it's great. That's exactly exactly what I wanted to hear. Um, and nobody does it better than you. So we'll, well, thank you. we will talk to you very soon. This was a blast. It was okay. so great to chat. Okay. See ya. See ya. Bye. Backspin Golf with Matthew Lawrence is brought to you by Commonwealth Credit Union. Welcome back. Yippee. I started the show by saying, what did I say, Sean? Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Okay, this segment is going to be yippee. That's what my Sunday morning is like. Because mi hermano, Emilio San Martin, joining me now uh, from somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. And that's all we'll say about that. Uh, But Emilio, long time with the Golf Channel and many other things, uh, and it's always so great to talk to him. Hola, hermano mío. Hola, mi hermano, ¿cómo andas? How uh, is everyone over <laughs> I'm doing good. It's so great to talk to you. Likewise. Uh, here's, here's where I want to start with you. For uh, the people that listen, and we have them all over the world, actually, uh, tell us a little bit about your work at the Golf Channel. You were there for a very long time. Yeah, it was me and old Tom Morris uh, <laughs> that helped launch, helped launch the, uh, the Golf Channel, uh, as I recall. Um, yeah, I was part of the original crew of the Golf Channel. It's still in my, you know, several hundred years in this business, in the TV uh, business. I, I think it's one of the greatest accomplishments of my life because at the time, in 1994, when I joined them, about two months, a month and a half before we launched, I never gave solid consideration to a to a, a channel 24 7 about golf you know none uh, of us did nobody did <laughs> right and, and then of course tiger you know hello world and uh, blew out the masters field and the rest is history and it became so popular a popularity in golf that has not been seen since the heydays of, of arnie and, and jack mm-hmm. uh, but anyway i uh was an editor uh i still am an editor uh producer um both uh, out in the field and uh, and in-house. Uh, I was a lead editor for the Golf Channel, so I got to experience and meet some wonderful people. I got to travel around to all the major tournaments. Uh, that includes Ryder Cup, which is uh, which is upon us here in a few weeks. We'll talk weeks. about that in a few minutes. Yeah. yeah, and so that's what I did. I, 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 had the, I had the luxury of meeting so many great people um, and uh, spending time with them. And it wasn't just golfers. I mean, golf is uh, kind of, it is universal. And you see a lot of actors, a lot of a lot of baseball players. And, you know, me, I'm a big baseball fan. So yeah. 
I got to, <laughs> I got to work with a lot of great uh, legends of the game, Hall of Famers on 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 every spectrum, in every spectrum, uh, basically. But yeah, that's what I did. I, I worked for the Golf Channel for 19 years. Wow. Um, and I've done some work for the USGA since then, too, occasionally. Of course, the pandemic kind of threw some wrench yeah, into plans. a little uh, bit. Yeah. Well, it's uh, what I wanted people to really hear was you, how deeply involved you were with golf. And, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me. I get choked up about it when I think about it. It's a very emotional <clears throat> thing. To talk yes, about it is. Um, but, and that continues to this day. Um, and so I want to start with the BMW, with the FedEx Cup playoffs. Sure. I've said this to you, too. Nothing is more important to me in October when the first four holes of a tournament have been played and they put up the FedEx Cup standings for something that's coming in August. That's always <laughs> been my favorite thing. And it continues throughout yeah. the year. And now it's even to the point where... The BMW is going on this this week, obviously. Well, right. the first putt that somebody makes on Thursday, they put where they stand in relation to finishing in the top 30. And there are 71 holes left to play. So for the next four days, every putt by everybody that drops, we're seeing everything change. I'm like, can you wait till Sunday? Sunday morning, show me what people need to shoot today to get to East Lake. Am I? Are you yeah. the same way, or is that just me? No, no, no. I think that's that's the same. I mean, I, I got the same impression. Uh, <laughs> I'll take it back during the FedEx, uh, <laughs> and then it was seventy to fifty, and it was like, okay, who's going to make BMW? And now it's going to be who's going to make uh, right? Who's going to make the championship? And and it's going to be that way all around. Um, I, I think <laughs> that's the the, the the world that we live in. So. Uh, if you're into graphics, if you're into statistics, oh. this is a wonderful time for you in the golf oh, world. Oh boy, <laughs> getting that flooded to you every time, yeah. every putt, right. every chip. Right. Uh, you know, if the beer <laughs> cart comes by, they might uh, they might have statistics on her. Uh, you know, now that would be good. That, that would be okay. That is something I think that the major tour, that the PGA is is missing. Well, I think that would be fantastic. I know you know enough people where you could put that into effect somewhere, but okay, so. Later on today, yeah. we will decide the BMW championship and the 30 that are going to Atlanta to play at Eastlake for the tour championship and the now $18 million first prize of the tour champion. Okay. Right. That's all great. <clears throat> I have some thoughts about how this whole FedEx Cup has evolved. Uh, I don't like that it's only 70 players to start. I think that was a mistake. Uh, and along the way now, because you're affecting players that we've seen before this at least have a chance to get their card for next year, to do this, to do that. And you don't have that anymore for a lot of these players. No, I, I think that's too too low a number. Yeah. Uh, in, in my opinion, I, I concur. I'm assuming you you also think it's too low a number. Yeah, uh, I do. Said, um, I mean, I don't think you should be, you know, it shouldn't be 20. You know, <laughs> uh, you know and the rest of you guys, thanks for playing. You know, yeah, uh, right. Enjoy, enjoy the, the holidays. Um, 
No, I think I think to your point, yeah. I mean, there are certain players, uh, you know, as far like you said, getting their card, having an opportunity. Um, it's one of the things. Look, golf is a great game, um, but it is such an individual game, and and, and I think cutting out some of these guys as far as their future, as far as their card, as far as their uh, the, the competitive nature of it, it's a, it's it's there should be more people. There right. should be more people. It should, it should be a higher number. I have no problem whittling it down um, progressively over the yeah. course of the Fed playoffs, of course. But I think it should start off with a higher number, right? And even be progressively a slightly higher number moving forward. Yeah, uh, we we um. As we all know, it used to be last year it was four tournaments in the FedEx Cup. So you had the 125 cut down to 70, cut down to whatever it was, uh, and you had that. Now it's only three. And that, of course, speaks to what's going to happen next year, uh, which we'll have to save for another show because we don't have enough time to go through the signature events and the elevated events and the this and the that and everything that has come along with live golf and the PIF or whatever the hell it's called and all that stuff. We don't have, we could do three hours on that, but easily, uh, what I would just like to mention with you and get your feelings on is about that schedule, which comes 2024 do we even have any idea? I know they've said this is what's going to happen. I don't think any of us really know the effect of all the shenanigans that uh, Jay Monahan and the tour and all those people are pulling. I think there's a lot of ambiguity, a lot of uncertainty with regard to the 2024 FedEx Cup schedule still. Um, I know that they've thrown a few, uh, I know that they've thrown what they believe to be their schedule. I think that's still in a very much a state of flux. I think you hit the nail on the head. I think there's a lot of uh, uh, uncertainty with surrounding uh, Monahan. Uh, there are a lot of other issues going on with PJ. Obviously, the live golf situation is still uh, in a state of who knows what. Right. Um, and it all has a bearing. I think. I think for now. For now, while they've made some, you know, announcements about you know the scheduling for next year, I think getting through this year is the key. Is the goal for them mm-hmm. uh, right now? Right. And, and then and then worrying about next year, worrying about tomorrow, tomorrow, uh, essentially. Yeah, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of things that are going to manifest themselves between now and uh, let's say this time next year. Um, again, the live golf situation is very much a factor. What's happening, the infighting between some of the players from PGA that stayed at PGA and some of those that went off to the, to the live golf. What's going to happen? Monahan's decision, a lot of criticism for it. Um, there's a lot of a state of flux. So we'll see what happens. I'm not, I'm not, you know, golf is great uh, in many respects. It's a game we love. It's a game we enjoy. Um, don't cheapen it. Don't weaken it. You know, have yeah. more players involved, have more tournaments, have give people a chance to be able to qualify, make the, make, make the teams that much stronger right. for the future. Okay. Uh, and finally that leads us to, what's coming up as you said you have been able to get to go to the Ryder cup we have a Ryder cup coming up in rome no less you said something funny to me last night about the weight that they're all going to (laughs) gain because they're going to be there for at least probably 10 days i would say at least Uh, i'm not sure when they're going but 
they're all going to be eating over there in Rome, and they better watch out, all those guys. Yeah, yeah, these, yeah, these guys have not seen Italian food like this in their life. <laughs> they think going to Little Italy in Boston and yeah. New York. Yeah, <laughs> right. And that's great Italian food, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But it's not Italy. It's and not so Rome. Go out there. Yeah, it's not Rome, especially. They're going to go out there. They're going to come back. What we're going to see is an evolution. Oh, good. These guys are going to come back pushing three, 350. <laughs> <laughs> so, in other words, every player who played on the Ryder Cup team is going to look like Craig Sadler when they get off the plane. Basically. Craig Sadler is going to look like Twiggy. <laughs> <laughs> these guys. Uh, all right. Here's the big question about the Ryder Cup for now, and we'll find out pretty quickly. A lot of people are saying by tonight, after the the uh, actually it'll be after the Tour Championship next week that Zach Johnson will announce his team. The big question I have, and people seem to have, does JT make the team? That's and we love Justin Thomas around here. He's a Kentucky guy. We love him. Um, does he make the team? Do you think? Does Zach put him on, even though he didn't even qualify for the first time for the FedEx Cup? I think he does. Um, for uh, I, I think he's a solid presence, and yeah. he's a solid. Uh, uh, I, I think at this point, look, I think we only have what three guys confirmed uh, uh, for now uh, on the on the American team. Yeah. Um, others, of course, are going to qualify and be right. selected, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I think you'll see people like JT make it. I think you'll see people like Keegan Bradley selected. I hope uh, so. For sure. I mean, his his experience with Ryder Cup going back to Valhalla, mm -hmm. uh, going to Medina, um, I think speak volumes. Yeah. Um, you know, going, I mean, I'm trying to remember, he was at Valhalla, if memory serves. Um, but even if he wasn't, his experience at Medina, was uh was key so i think jt makes it i think keegan bradley makes it uh and before it escapes my mind real quick on a, on a just taking a step back and then we'll continue with these things i mentioned that that craig stadler uh and the twiggy reference yeah i realize half your viewer half your viewers may not even know who twiggy is Can you make it <laughs> this generation craig stadler uh will look like harry styles compared to what these guys uh, look like okay good one yeah, that way good it, one. it attaches to you. I, but I, of course, understand. I was born way before Twiggy was, so you know, uh, we have yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. I, I don't believe that for one second. But <laughs> um, Whatever. But no, I think JT makes it. I think, <clears throat> I think Egan Bradley makes it. I think you'll see Jordan Spieth uh, on the team. Um, I think you're going to see a lot of guys who are good presence, good characters, mm -hmm. solid, uh, solid individuals. I think that'll speak volumes. Because let's face it, this is the this is a tournament where, look, I, I all these tournaments I covered at the Golf Channel, traveling around, right? And got to go to the Masters, got to go to U.S. Open, PGA. I love going to U.S. Open; they were always at such great locations. So right. I always turned it into a bit of a mini vacation on the back end. But Ryder Cup was probably my favorite event, and why? Because there's that team, uh, that camaraderie, and and there's a different energy. Um, whether it's the USA fans chanting USA or the European fans singing and chanting, uh, there's a playfulness that you don't see. There's a team, right? Uh, a sense of teammates, teamsmanship, uh, and and I really truly enjoyed it. So to that effect, you want good quality guys, not just quality on the on the on the links, 
but good quality guys uh, along the uh, along the board and effective guys. And right. Bradley up to be effective. JT has shown himself to be effective. I think they're good quality guys and they're going to be on the team. Awesome. All right. Uh, well, we will catch up. Actually, I would love to talk to you again once the team is announced sure. and we all know and we can wrap up the uh, the FedEx Cup and move on to learning who's leading the FedEx Cup for 2024. Like, sure. you know, next week or something. Well, one, one thing I can confirm um and this might be breaking news. I did not make the team. Okay. Well, uh, that makes me upset because I didn't either. And they left the two best presences in the clubhouse off the team. That's and just have, crap. Yeah. I mean, I have both American and, and you know, Spanish yeah. citizenship. I played on either team. There you go. Wow. Okay. All right. Thanks so much, pal. My pleasure, guys. Always happy to see you guys. Te uh, amo. So Igualmente. Next time we'll do the thing in Spanish. See, si. claro, muy bien hecho. Oh boy, I've had it. See ya. <laughs> See you guys. Backspin Golf with Matthew Lawrence is brought to you by French Lick Resort Casino. Welcome back. Uh, as I always say when I'm about to speak with my bro, Dan Hauser, you can follow him on Twitter at Dan Hauser, H A U S E R, golf. Uh, and also at Golf, Golf Unfiltered, he's the host of a really tremendous podcast called At My Addiction Help. And this is a great thing that, that he does. We're going to talk uh, about some golf now. And like I said, there are very few people I enjoy because we always have fun. So he better be funny today or else he's done. Hi, Dan. How's it going? Not to put any pressure on me or anything, right? No. Pressure, Lee Trevino said, pressure is when you got six kids and no job. Okay? <laughs> That's pressure. This ain't pressure. Uh, but here's what if you I have want. no kids and like six different jobs? Then what does that mean? <laughs> well, <laughs> that means you're rolling in it. If you have no kids, you're rolling in it. Uh, all right. Here's where, here's where I want to start. Uh, Lucas Glover is where I want to start with you. He won his second tournament in eight days or something on Sunday in the playoff with Patrick Cantley uh, and now heads into the BMW this weekend, the second of the three, as we all know, FedEx Cup tournaments. Uh, but this his story is so remarkable to me because he has been a non-entity for a long time. And here's, how about this? You ready? I pulled up this little uh, nugget. You probably know it because you're a Dan Hauser of Golf Unfiltered. <laughs> Lucas Glover has more wins in the last eight days. You ready, Dan? Then yep. Jordan Spieth, Patrick Cantley, Xander Shoffley, Tommy Fleetwood, Terrell Hatton, Colin Morikawa, and Victor Hovland have combined in 2023. In the last eight days, he did that. It's pretty yeah, good. I mean, listen, he wins, uh, you know, two weeks ago, and you could, you know, I think many, uh, I think a lot of people, myself included, kind of chalked it up to the, the flukiness that is professional golf, obviously, when you have, you know, it's it's I, I, I it's one of the main reasons why 
the people that have been on the side of not making these limited field events have been saying, hey, look, like anyone can win any week. So if you, if right. you, if you limit the number of guys in the field, then you're limiting the number of guys that can realistically win. And so that, that was kind of an example when you, when you had Lucas Glover. It was kind of like, yeah, see, anyone can kind of win any, every week. Here's like the flukiness that is pro golf. Then he goes into the first playoff event and backs it up eight days later, which short of Tiger Woods, I mean, basically nobody goes back-to-back anymore. So it's just like, it, it, part of me is like, okay, well, it's just continuing the flukiness or the streakiness that he's going through, but it's also like, maybe, unlike some people, he's gotten to his 40s now and something has clicked for him. You know, a lot of times guys get older and they start to go down. Maybe now he's going to be a guy that, you know, gets into his 40s and something clicks and now all of a sudden he's going to go on a tear. So it's just, it's, it's a really cool story. It's just, it's, it's, it's literally an example of why what the PGA Tour is doing with all these limited field events moving forward is kind of dumb. Um, yeah. And because yeah. Lucas Glover would have never been able to be in this position had this been 2024. Correct. Uh, and it's one of the real problems, and we have discussed it and will continue to for quite a while now. It's one of the many problems I have with this new schedule and all the crap going on with it. But the thing the I read so many articles about Lucas Glover in the last few days after what he did on Sunday. And it he had for a long time the yips and not only putting. Everybody now is saying it's because of him using the longer putter and the work he's done. And yes, that's true. But he also had the yips with irons in his hand uh and and hearing him i watched an interview with him dan that was absolutely amazing i mean he was as far away almost like ricky fowler but even worse he was as far away he he couldn't go to the golf course for a period of time he couldn't the thought of hitting balls freaked him out and he has worked very hard, discovered something with his swing, and then adding the putter to that, which as I did you have you seen that little video of him missing a putt from about two feet? Have you seen that? I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm sure I've I'm, seen it at some point or another. Obviously, I'm gonna have to, to go pretty viral I'll, on Twitter. I'll, but I'll, I'll send it moment. to you. I'll send it to you because it's not just him pulling a putt from two feet. It, it's the weirdest thing. It's on the, the head of his putter. And it's the weirdest thing you've ever seen, especially from a pro golfer. He picks the front, the toe of the putter up and hits it with the, the heel of his putter. It's unbelievable. And now, then you go, okay, now I see why the guy wanted to jump off a ledge. But I think it's a great story. Now, it leads us into uh, Ryder Cup. Um. And there's this is going to be really interesting. What does Zach Johnson do now? We have if Lucas Glover keeps playing for the next couple of weeks, he's going to have enough points to make the team. But you have JT. What do you think he's going to do about Justin Thomas and the Ryder Cup? I think before we get into JT, I think the the coolest possible story here is we could end up having the real the real possibility that we could have a guy in his 40s being a Ryder Cup rookie if Lucas Glover does end up making yeah. a team. Like, 
We always talk yeah. about these Ryder Cup rookies that are, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, right. how young is too young to be able to be on a Ryder Cup team. This guy could be a Ryder Cup rookie in his 40s. So that's yeah. just another that's... layer of, of, of the coolness of this Lucas Glover story. Um, yeah. As far as Good JT point. goes, I, I, think he, I think he makes the team. At the end of the day, the Ryder Cup is the popularity contest when it comes to captain's picks. Um, I think that because he is close with so many other guys that will be in that team room, I think he's going to end up getting a spot. Do I think it's necessarily a deserved spot or that he's the best person to fill that spot? Time will tell. Obviously, we can't answer that until we see how he performs when he's out there. Uh, but I think ultimately he's going to end up getting one of those those captain's picks. Well, he and I think the point you just made is how he is in that locker room. And he's been, you know, fantastic, paired with Justin Spieth, obviously. He's been fantastic in the Ryder Cup, uh, just as one of the leaders of the team, as you said. Here's the thing, though. I mean, here's, really? a, here's, a, here's a good comp for you. You, okay. know, you. you had those years where Ian Poulter was making Ryder Cup teams for the European side when he didn't necessarily qualify on his own. And then you would go out there and, and you know, own the tournament. So... It, there, there are there are some guys that that even if they're not playing well week in week out, they just they have that that Ryder Cup gene in them, and, it, and then something happens in, in in their game when they show up on that first tee on on the first, you know on day one, and it, and they just you know play out of their mind. So I mean, it's entirely possible that that happens. He 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 could end up being the the American version of Ian Poulter from that standpoint. For all we know, I mean, you, you know, it, 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 there's so many different ways that things that could happen with that. Yeah, uh, and this Ryder Cup is going to be, it's always interesting for many reasons. But anytime we have to play in Europe, and this one is in Rome, uh, and by the way, I don't know if you know this, but Zach Johnson just appointed me earlier today an assistant captain. I don't know if you saw that on the... Well, as he should have, of course. Yeah, and uh, so... What took him so long? uh, I I didn't know, but I told him I would do it, and I'll be in Rome anyway. But I just made a reservation to go to Rome, New York, instead of Rome, Italy. <laughs> but um, anytime we have to go to Europe is, is very interesting. But this year, uh, the European team, and again, this it's like you mentioned Ian Poulter. It's a, if guys are playing well, and there are many Europeans, as we know, who are playing well. Um, this could be, uh, um, I think, we're. I think we're definitely going to be the underdogs, even though we have, you know, guys very high in the rankings. Um, I think it's going to be re- a really tough Ryder Cup for us to win. Do you feel that way? I, I yeah, I I think that just. The fact that it's in Europe, like you, I think that we could have, you know, ten Tiger Woods on the team, and it's still going into Europe. You know, still going on to it, it being an away game. It's going to bring a challenge. I don't know what it is, um, but the United States team just cannot win overseas. <laughs> um, and so I think that when you factor that in, it's almost like you're you're starting the week already down three three nothing, just for the simple fact that it's over in Europe. So yeah, I, I would I would tend to agree with that sentiment for sure. Now, as we stand now, leading into this week, uh, I'm just trying to think. Yeah, his. Um, sorry, I was just looking at the list. 
there are six uh, guys that will be on the team through the point system. And right now it's Scotty Scheffler, Wyndham Clark, Patrick Cantley, Brian Harmon, Brooks Kepka, who qualifies, even though he's on the live deal, he qualifies. Brooks Kepka, Max Homa are the six automatic guys now. And that could change in the next couple of weeks. And then you have Xander, Jordan, Cameron Young, Colin Morikawa, Keegan Bradley is 11th right now, but I'm saying he's going to be one of Zach's picks because he's that guy. We've all seen him in the Ryder Cup, and he's playing well. Sam Burns, Ricky Fowler, JT is 14th. Lucas Glover, as it sits now, is 16th. But, you know, we'll have to see, and we're – we're, before we know it, Dan, as everything else, you know, football starts up and all this stuff, the Ryder Cup will be here before you know it. So, oh yeah, we're gonna we're, we're blinking; it'll be here. Oh great! Have you started your Christmas shopping yet? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm or I'm no. completely thrown off my calendar right now because it's it's middle of August and the Reds are still in playoff contention, so I'm all out of whack. Yeah. Okay. Well, we were <laughs> talking about that a bunch of us before and. At least we have that. Some of us, you know, our other team is dog poop. But at least we have the Reds, and we'll we'll take that. So we have the Reds, and this week, the BMW, uh, and that'll be great. All right, as always, pal, I appreciate you and everything you do for me by joining me so often. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Yeah, it's always good talking to you. Okay, see you, man. All right, see you guys. All right, that'll do it for another edition. I always want to say of 60 minutes. That's wrong. Of Backspin Golf. Uh, Thank you to our friends, Jordan Perez and Dan Hauser, and, of course, Amelia San Martin. Uh, And I'm looking forward to the rest of today. We'll know what happens and who's going to East Lake and all that stuff. And as always, thank you to our great, great partners, Commonwealth Credit Union, Georgetown Advantage Air, Critter Control, Truly Nolan, French Lick Resort, Gearheads of Nicholasville, Maple Leaf Roofing Systems, Wowing Central Kentucky, one roof at a time. And of course, Lexington Parks and Rec for the great public golf courses we have here. Have a great rest of your day. I'll be back next Sunday morning at 8.03, ESPN 92.5 and 1300 AM. Backspin Golf with Matthew Lawrence is brought to you by Lexington Parks and Recreation.